Thank you, Michelle. It's good to have someone to be able to read God's Word. What is your purpose in life? What is God's purpose? Now, I think just before we, we learn a little bit here what God is saying to us, just let us bow our heads in a word of prayer. Our dear loving Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this time together. We thank you as we bring this word, Lord, I don't make it clear that the people might understand it. Thank you, Lord, for being with us. And we pray your blessing upon your word right now in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 139, verses 1 to 4. All through the Bible, we see God working out his purpose for the world. From the first prophecy to Eve of a saviour from her seed, through the choice of Abraham, a father of a nation, the redemption of that nation from slavery of Egypt, and God's dealing with them through the centuries to come. All these things lead to the time God would send his son to be born of a Jewish maiden and later to offer his life as a ransom for the people of the world because of our sin. We see God working out his purposes in individual lives, transforming people into their image. And even the trials and the tragedies of Joseph's life prepared him for the part where God had a greater plan to save his family from the death of famine. And in the end, Joseph said to his brothers, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. And you see, God sees the biggest picture. There is nothing, nothing hidden from God. And God knows about our past, no matter how black it is or how grey it is or how bright it is. God knows our past. He knows what is happening at the present. And he knows what is going to happen in the future. What an encouragement to us to know. We might know what, what holds the future, but we do know who holds the future in his hands. David, the psalmist, in verses 7 and 8 of our reading, Where can I go from your spirit, he said? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. The preparation of Moses in his task took 80 years, 40 years in the palace and 30 years in the desert. Likewise, David, he was prepared through many hardships for the time when he would reign as a king. And in the New Testament, we see that Paul was trained as a Pharisee, but that was not God's purpose for him. God wanted to use him in a greater way. And so he went out to all the Gentiles there to bring the gospel to them and also to be a writer of many of the New Testament epistles. In the same way, God is working in the lives of individual people, the young and the old. Don't let me hear that the young ones say, there's nothing for me to do. God can't use me. He uses you. He wants you. And we might be tempted to ask, 
Is there any purpose in our life? Am I a victim of circumstances? Is God in control? Or am I left to fight all my battles alone? We used to sing a a chorus in Sunday school. You might know it. God is still on the throne and he will remember his own. Though trials may press us and burdens distress us, he never will leave us alone. God is still on the throne and he will remember his own. His promise is true. He will not forget you. God is still on the throne. Three things are clearly revealed in God's word as part of his purpose for each one of us. He wants us to know him. He wants us to know him. He wants us to become like him. And he wants us to help others, show compassion. And John 17 and 3, we read that in his final hours before his disciples, the Lord said, Now is this is eternal life, that we might know you, you, Father, the only true God. Jesus come into the world to show us the Father. And all his life had been a revelation from God. His death would take away the barrier of sin and make possible for our reconciliation to God, enabling us to know him in a way that it hasn't been possible since sin first entered into this world. However, knowing him as saviour is not the end. No, it is only the beginning. We are to continue learning from him through his word and through the daily fellowship with him. This is our our encouragement to one another. And we read in 2 Peter, but grow in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And by doing these things, we can grow in these things. The Apostle Paul's knowledge of the Lord was based on years of experience, years of fellowship. Getting to know someone requires time. We need to spend time with the Lord, time in prayer, time in reading his word, time in reading even good books that may help you. Uh, It is only then that we can truly know our God. Then we can't help produce the likeness in him because our lives are changed. The Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians 3.18, And we, who with unveiled faces all reflect God's glory and being transformed into his likeness. Oh, isn't that wonderful? Is there a, a bigger challenge for us? Is there a greater desire to reflect Jesus' love, to reflect his grace and compassion and live a life that is holy and pure lives for his glory? The result is, in Galatians, we see the images as of the the results of it all as the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, 
gentleness and self-control. His spirit in us produces his likeness through us. And the Apostle John tells us that one day we will be bequeathly like him. In the meantime, his purpose is that we should become more like him. Don't be satisfied with what you're doing. Get to know him better. And whatever he allows in our lives can be used for this purpose. I like to think of our lives as a, a blend of colours. Uh, dare I mention that my wife does tapestries. And when you first look at them, pretty barren, nothing much to look at. But as she gets along, it becomes a beautiful picture. And so it is like the, um, the craftsman who's uh, creating something out of uh, moulding, something that does clay with um, ornaments and things like that. It's ugly and squashy and all that, and a mess is formed, and yet he can create something beautiful. And Ephesians 2.10 says, God calls us his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. Oh, how precious to think of ourselves as his precious creation to whom he patiently works, moulding us to produce something beautiful. Now, some people might think they don't look much on the outside, but God can produce something beautiful through you. That's what it is all about. In Ephesians 4:22 and 24, the Apostle Paul explains three possibilities responsibilities to becoming like Christ. And I quote, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off the old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. We become new people once we come to know Christ as our Lord and Saviour. He changes our life if we let him. Firstly, we must choose to let go of the old way of life, things that might come in between you and the Lord. Get rid of them. And secondly, we must change the way we think. We read in Romans 12 and 2, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And that's what it's all about. Now, the Greek word for transformed is metamorphosis. That sounds okay, doesn't it? And this word is used today describing the amazing change a caterpillar goes through to become a beautiful butterfly. Isn't this a beautiful picture of what happens to us spiritually when we allow God to direct our thoughts? We are changed from the inside out. We become more beautiful. We are set free to soar on heights and we're set free to grow and grow and grow. Thirdly, we must put on the character of Christ by developing new godly habits. 
And verse 14 of Psalm says, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, I know full well. And although God could change us instantly, if you'd like that, he has chosen to develop us slowly, just as God allowed the Israelites to take over the promised land. He did it slowly and so they wouldn't be overwhelmed. And he leads us step by step. So all we have to do is trust and obey. He does not lead me year by year, not even day by day. But step by step my path unfolds. My Lord directs the way. Tomorrow's plans I do not know. I only know this minute. But he will say, this is the way. By faith walk ye in it. Oh, I am glad that this is so. Today's enough to bear. And when tomorrow comes, his grace shall exceed its care. What need to worry then or fret that God gave his only son, holds all the moments in his hands and gives them out one by one? In the same way, as the tapestries need the dark colours and the lighter ones, so we need the light with the dark the happy, the carefree, the joyful times that we have together, intermingled with times of testing. This is how our faith grows and becomes firm and strong. And it's my experience that through these times of testing and trials, I've learnt more of my own weaknesses and failures and have learnt more of God's strength and more of my need to depend on his unfailing faithfulness. We might ask, do trials draw us closer to the Lord? Or do they make us resentful? Do they make us bitter? Do they make us rebellious? We've commenced the study of the book of Ruth. And I know a pastor, he's watching and he won't mind me mentioning this. But we find that Naomi's trials made her bitter and she blamed God. That is very easy to do. But she left her country because of the land was barren. She then returned because of her barrenness and all the circumstances that she went through. It was so unbearable for her. And she was dependent on her relatives for support. However, this is where the change takes place. Further on, we see the hope rekindled in Naomi when she said, the Lord hasn't stopped showing his kindness. And I believe that one of the greatest lessons we can learn from the book of Ruth is a way that God's hand was moving through the events to achieve his ultimate purpose. That was his purpose for Naomi. And there are so many uncertainties in our lives, isn't there? The speed of change can be confusing and sometimes overwhelming. We all go through this at the moment. 
Yet in spite of this, there are some things that we know are certain, things that remind us ourselves, we should remind ourselves of frequently. Firstly, we are not the first people to have our faith tested. We're not on our own, and we're not to be only, the only ones confused what is happening around us. No. We read about Job in the New Old Testament. He went through unbelievable trials and testing. He lost his wealth. He lost his health. He lost his friends. He lost everything and even his wife. And in the end, they tried to think of he had some secret sin in his life. And poor old Job didn't know what was happening and what was going on. And yet, even though he was constantly in pain, without any apparent hope of improvement in his circumstances, this is what he said. I know that my Redeemer lives. <laughs> I know that my Redeemer lives. And that in the end, he will stand upon this earth. And then he goes on to say, And my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes. I and not another, how my heart yearns within me. What faith from a man who lived before Jesus, who did not have God's word written before him. And you know, there's a quote that we cannot know the strength of our faith until it has been tested. Job knew the gravity of sin and his need for a mediator before God. He also knew that God himself would be involved in it all. And though even he died, he would live again to see God. And can we be certain of that? Can we be certain of that? Yes, we can, if the Lord Jesus Christ is our Redeemer and our Saviour. And centuries later, awaiting execution in circumstances that might have seemed confusing, even the Apostle Paul wrote in 2 Timothy 1-2, 12, I might say, I know in whom I have believed and am convinced that he is able to guard what I've entrusted to him this very day. That is security. Verses 9 and 10 of Psalm 139 says, If I rise on the wings of dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. And in John 10, 27 and 28, Jesus said, My sheep, listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life. They shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. You see, Jesus knows our thoughts. He knows our desires. And he loves each one of us with an unconditional love. Everyone is important. Everyone is valued. And the Apostle Paul reminds us that nothing 
can separate us from God's love. He lists a whole lot of circumstances that are more extreme than most of us are likely to face. And I'd like to read this to you. Romans 8, verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger of the sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, these are the answers. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor the angels, nor demons, nor the present, nor the future, nor the powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God, Lord Jesus Christ. What wonderful words from God's holy book. Nothing can separate us from his love. And it doesn't matter what happens. God will not lose sight of us. His knowledge of us is infinite. 1 Corinthians 13, 12 says, Now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall be fully known even as I am known. As Christians, we know that the ultimate future is in heaven. We all know that. We are not given all the details about the resurrection bodies. But we're told in 1 John 3 or 2, and I want you to grasp this. But we know that when he appears... We shall be like him. We shall see him as he is. And that is what we've got to hang on to. And if we really lived in the light, I guess many of our concerns would lose their importance. Although our future is guaranteed, we must still face today with its difficulties and tomorrow with all its uncertainties. And yet Romans 8 and 28 comes to me It tells us, and we know that all things work for good to them who love God and are called according to his purpose. Sometimes we tend to forget when God is working for our good. He is not necessarily working for our immediate happiness. Instead, he's working for a long-term blessing. His aim is to make us more like Jesus And there's no higher blessing or purpose or goal that we can have. The words of an old chorus come through to my mind this week. He is able, more than able, to accomplish what concerns me today. He is able, more than able, to handle anything that comes my way. He is able, more than able, to do do much more than I could ever dream. He is able, more than able, to make me what he wants me to be. 
we are so blessed as we seek to become more like God. And this enables us to be a blessing to others. Paul speaks to the Corinthians about being comforted by God and that they might comfort others. Whatever blessings we experience is not just for ourselves. We need to share it around. And it'll be wonderful to, to be like him when we see him. It is even wonderful to know that God is still working, making us more like Jesus every day. And it's so easy to lose sight of this. We need to be constantly reminding ourselves that God is planning and working for eternity. His purpose will be fulfilled through us. Don't let him down. We can take heart today, knowing that our God is at work and we're perfect, that which concerns us. God is at work, believe it. Though clouds obstruct your view, you are his child, beloved. He plans in love for you. Believe in the work he is doing. We'll finish perfectly, complete in every detail, as you one day will see. So with renewed assurance, say firmly, trustfully, I know that he will perfect all that concerneth me. James gives us a word of encouragement when he says, Consider it my pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials and tribulations of any kind, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. When God allows difficulties in our lives, he is there by his spirit to enable us not just to endure, no, but to be victorious and to pass on what we have learned. Growing and developing a Christ-like character can also be a slow process, but God has promised in Philippians 1 and 6 that he who began a good work in you will carry it on until completion. You see, God hasn't finished with us yet. He hasn't finished with you yet. It is only the beginning. It's a whole life's journey. And Jesus doesn't want us to be religious, living just a good life, and that's good, and it? Okay. He wants a commitment for a whole life. And we don't need to be discouraged, but keep on believing that God is working in our lives, and even when we don't feel like it. The Bible says that everything on earth has its time and its own season. And I think there are seasons in our spiritual life also. When Habakkuk, bless his name, when he became depressed because he didn't know God, was acting quickly enough. And sometimes we get like that. We think God's too slow. We want things done now. Not tomorrow, next week or next year. We want it done now. And yet God told him that the things he had planned wouldn't happen right away. But slowly, steadfastly and surely, the vision that he had for Habakkuk would be fulfilled. 
God also told him not to despair if it seemed slow, but be patient. Oh, that's a, that's a hard word, isn't it? Be patient. <laughs> and the, but the Apostle Paul encouraged Timothy to continue to practice godly habits, to give himself wholly to them, that everyone might see his progress. Let us rejoice today in the fact that knowing God, we can face life with confidence, leaving the unknown in his hands. May we be like Job and say, my Redeemer lives. Or the Apostle Paul, I know in whom I believed. May we be challenged to know our Lord Jesus Christ better, to commit our lives into his hands, that whatever this year holds, we will continue to trust him each steep step of our Christian journey. This is what our purpose should be. Let us pray. Our dear loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for a God who loved us so much that he is willing to give his life for us. He is willing to go to the cross of Calvary to pay the penalty for our sins. Oh, Father, we thank you. You loved us so much. And yet we rejoice this morning that he is alive today. He rose again and he lives in glory. And one day, even in the midst of all these things that we go through and our trials and our temptations and everything, God is coming back again to receive us unto himself and we shall see him in all his glory. And in the meantime, Father, I just pray if there's any who does not know him, they will come to know him as their Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. And for those of us who do know him, may we know the strength that you can give day by day. Give us a peace that passes all understanding Help us to live, to live lives that bring glory to your name. Because we ask this in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen.